Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We're, we're trying this whole thing of, you know, more than than once every month, I guess-ish, of a show. Well, we, we're supposed to try to have shows when there's things to talk about and we're both available. Okay. <laughs> I mean... It's the start of the season. Well, season is getting closer to starting. Yes. So we, we, we got to try this a bit more often. Okay. I'll try to fit it into my schedule. <laughs> you know, everyone just needs to know, we really do make an effort here. Okay. I, I think the five people that listen to us know that. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes it's good to reiterate. I, I'm sure they're aware. I'm also sure, based on the infinite number of times that you have mentioned it, that they also understand that every time there is in this show, it is typically my fault. I was not going there. But you're going there. I was not. You went there. Because it's just a matter of time until you go there. No, I, I was travel just highlighting that you... we were going to do this a bit more. And then I was going to talk about the fact that we were, you know, it, it's that time of year that you got to start thinking about Fantasy GP and that the league is here and ready to go. And I think you've got a couple more days to the schedule, to, to the uh, discount on the pro memberships expires. But you wanted to go a different way. Well, A, since we don't actually do any pre-show prep, you didn't tell me <laughs> any of those things. And Spontaneity. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. I'm just calling out that I travel more than you do. I have more things on my list of things to do. And that's why you keep blaming me that we don't have shows. Okay, back where I was headed now. (laughs) Season's about to start. Um, As we're going to talk about, the last couple of cars have been revealed. Um, They actually were real cars and not show cars. Um fantasy you know testing is this week we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes and like i mentioned fantasy gp yeah we, we have spun up the, the league is active and ready for folks to join um as a reminder the access code is if you're not aware one four eight three one four nine one and you what you'll want to do is go over to fantasygp.com and if you're not already a member of the league hit leagues well first you gotta obviously join fantasy gp um but hit leagues and join our league and you'll need that code one four eight three one four nine one and it'll join you into the league now it's still too early to pick your teams um they will not because they they won't figure out valuation of the teams and the drivers until after testing Mm -hmm. so probably next weekend that should open up hopefully fairly quickly um because the season starts what a week or two later it starts the first whole weekend in march yeah so we are literally about two and a half weeks out the other big change this year for fantasy gp is that apparently they have figured out a way to ensure that or to include sprint race results into the points for the weekend oh okay so where before you could kind of forget to get your picks in before the sprint race now you probably need to do it okay on it so um i should note that the only person that's joined our actual league is you um, well, that's because i just reactivated it for 2023 
I know, and you didn't remind me to go get my pro membership either. So I noticed, I noticed I where your priorities no, are. No, I did remind you last weekend at the same time I reminded everybody else you were sitting right there. Yeah, but you, you were did, sitting right there. You didn't do it until a couple of days ago. I know, I saw the church. And, and that, that wasn't your reminder either? As I what had, more did you need? The big neon sign? As I previously noted, I am slightly busy. So, well, you know, I did put a billboard up on Route 47. Didn't you see it? No. Well, not my problem then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what's actually going on in the real Formula One and not in this fantasy Formula One world of yours? Hey, fantasy Formula One is just as important because it's our league. Because I want it. All right. That's less important. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) That is the only reason it is important is because I want it. Current reigning champion and and just saying so remember the points have now reset to zero those results have been completely wiped out and not by me i realize that at this moment i have equal amounts of chances to win the world championship as everyone else however i do have a history of winning Unlike some other bloke in the room. So, you know, I, I, I think we're going to need to slap down on you. The, the FIA's guidance on the principle of neutrality. Article 12.2.1.N of the International Sporting Code. I don't believe that exists. What, the International Sporting Code or Article <laughs> 12.2.1.N? Yes. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> it does. Um that is the statement the ruling that was issued last year mm-hmm. suspiciously right around the same time as the world cup when folks were getting into trouble for making political statements in qatar yes um that basically says that drivers shouldn't make political statements without seeking prior approval from the FIA before doing so and of course everybody got really pissed off about it Yes, and I can imagine a few specific F1 drivers that are notably vocal that probably didn't like it. Well, some are obviously more vocal than others, but the negative response was fairly universal. You Um, will not silence me. Not just from those drivers. I mean, we, we heard from Red Bull. We heard from, as a team, we heard from Red Bull, and we heard from other corners expressing their frustration over this clampdown and and the statement as it was made the ruling as it was made so the fia has issued a clarification oh okay um for starters they've they've issued guidance on what constitutes political religious or personal expressions um as concerned in article 12.2.1.n the big thing that they they want everyone to know is that it is they, they don't want anything that is in violation of the general principle of neutrality permi- promoted by the FIA under its statutes. Now, the problem that we have here with this, and or well, one of many problems, think about some of the places that the FIA and Formula One goes to, mm-hmm. and supposedly part of the reason why they go there is to change the culture and change the attitude 
of these governments and of these countries. Mm -hmm. Which means, by its very nature, Formula One's presence in these countries is not neutral. Okay. And yet the FIA, which approved Formula One appearing in these countries, has this statement around neutrality. Okay. So there's a contradiction right there. Okay. Um, But they also went a little forward. Um, In addition to, to saying... You know, a better clarification of of what would potentially be a violation of their neutrality. Basically, what they've turned around and they've said is that drivers who are making statements that are of a person of an unapproved political nature are allowed to do so in their personal social media channels. They're allowed to do so in environments outside of the track and away from FIA sanctioned events. However. Such statements are prohibited at podium ceremonies, at the start of the race, at the Thursday press conferences, with one exception on the Thursday press conference. And and this is one of those ridiculous clarifications that I don't think the FAA should have had to have make. However, a driver is prohibited from, say, bringing the topic up on their own in a press conference. However, they are allowed to respond to questions on the topic from the assembled press. Oh. Yeah. So, it and, and it's also not clear things like Lewis Hamilton for a good part of the, the year, and I think, and, and Sebastian Vettel did on and off throughout the year, would wear things like a helmet with a pride theme. Mm-hmm. That's a political statement. In a con- and he was specifically doing it in countries that had um, homophobic laws. Exactly. It was doing it to make that statement. Where did these helmets fall now? He didn't have prior approval. It's not clear what the FIA stance is on such displays. And... One could really argue that if he has to get his helmet prior approved because it has a rainbow on it, that the FIA is now trying to regulate wavelengths of light. Well, there's that too. And and it becomes that question of if a driver is that determined, how do they go and manage that? Mm -hmm. You know, do they turn around and look for subtle ways to tweak it to get around the scrutineering from the FIA so that they can get because you know that's formula one let's push the boundaries up until they say stop it well exactly and that's exactly what I would fully expect a a, a sport a sport that is got its very roots in finding the edges of the rules and pushing on them to do exactly that how far do you push it that you're making a statement without quote making a statement Mm mm-hmm so best that anyone can understand, if Lewis went for a pride helmet again, he would have to seek permission. Best that anybody understands, but we're not clear on this. You know what I could honestly see <clears throat> Lewis doing? Or I could see some, some driver doing. I know Seb would do it, but he's retired. Showing up at the Thursday press conference with all of the clothing from head to toe in rainbow color. So you couldn't say... That that's a rainbow uh, look 
I mean, it just so happens that their helmet is, their hat is purple and their t-shirt is mm-hmm. blue and their belt, you know, and it's, it goes all the Arranging way down. Arranging their sponsors. Arrang- the way or, they arrange their sponsors. You know, irides- iridescent paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any yeah, of those, I mean, any of those things, but I could so see Lewis taking, because he loves fashion and he loves the statements that fashion makes. Mm-hmm. I could so see him <clears throat> leveraging fashion as a subtle stick it to the man moment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think this this is yes, this clarification has helped a little bit. But but I think it's still going to be a challenge through the season. Now the FIA has turned around and said that they will adjudicate every single potential violation separately which yeah okay you look back three years ago and how well that went but on the other hand maybe they will actually take a reasonable stance i don't know i'm not holding my breath on this and i think it's i think we're going to see a lot of warnings handed out yeah it is what i truly think is going to happen um and then other than that i i can only hope that Mohammed bin Salayim's term is limited to a single one because this this is not going to settle quickly. No, no. So let's move forward. We had, like I said, we had some reveals this this week. Um, the first one, and actually, was probably one of the most well received ones, shockingly. But the first one happened on Monday was Ferrari's reveal held it in a private event, an invitation-only event at Mar- at Mariano. Um, which, remember, yeah, Mariano, which is where the factory is, and behind the factory is the Fiorano track. Right. So it was at the complex. Um, it was a combination of media and invited fans, a lot of invited fans, and held essentially trackside because the weather was gorgeous. Mm. Um, But it wasn't just the, okay, here's a very staged, high production event with the flashing lights and the models and pull the silk sheet off the car and take pictures and walk away. Oh, no. Um, It was, one, fairly short in terms of the presentation piece, but it was rapidly followed by the starting of the car because... This was the car that they are going to be running and testing and potentially the first couple of races starting of the car in front of all the fans and the media and running it out on the track for its shakedown. Wow. In front of everybody. I mean, I can't imagine that that didn't get the Tifosi off the charts. Mm -hmm. Um, Folks have been really excited. Just, Just how open it was. You know, they're they're still saying that, you know, Ferrari is obviously it's preseason and, and nobody wants to show all of their secrets. Um, you know, they they were kind of low key with details and what they thought of the car, but just the fact that Ferrari was willing to take the risk in front of the public and in front of the the media to start the car and run it. Mm-hmm. To some degree, it, you know, at, at some level with that engine turned up for everyone to see it. That's impressive. That's some confidence right there. Um, Ferrari's still going with the, the bathtub-like concept around 
the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Um, general analysis is that the bathtub has been refined a bit, especially oh. around the air vents and stuff like that. But again, we have to caution it with the... We don't expect that the car as it appears today is what it's really going to look like come race one and certainly by race five. Exactly. Um, but the the bathtub is definitely staying. Yeah. Um, so we had that reveal that went well. I noticed, hang on before you go further. Okay. You know, we always have to comment on whether or not there is white in the livery for Ferrari because white makes it go faster. <laughs> I see a distinctive lack of large swaths of white. True. It's the numbers and the the text and stuff like that. There is actually, there was one thing I did want to, well, two things I want to call out around it. Um, one, you'll notice that the smokeless tobacco company that appeared and would disappear every so often. Mission Winnow? Yes. Is gone. Okay. Ferrari's agreement with Philip Morris has ended. Oh, that wow. secret agreement because, you know, other than Mission Winnow and the fact that the car was arguably red, that was the only thing related to the Philip Morris branding for quite a few years. Well, it wasn't just that the car was red. The car was marble red. Yeah. I mean, let's be very specific. Yeah. Um, okay, so that, that has ended. That Does has that ended. mark the end of tobacco's support of Formula One? Because I thought that was the last remaining of the agreements. Um, I think McLaren's, I think the Views branding on McLaren is a vape company uh, support. I, I think that's British American Tobacco branding oh, okay. is Views, I think. Um, and that's a relatively new deal that restarted in the last couple of years. But British American ta- Tobacco has been present in Formula One for quite a while. Okay. Um, so I think that's the The other thing that caught my eye and I actually kind of like this and it is 100% cosmetic but I like it um the block Ferrari letters on the rear wing <laughs> okay it, it, it is that it is the Ferrari font mm-hmm. that they put on the cars they put it on the rear wing I think it looks really kind of sharp cool so yeah there's that um Mercedes rolled out their cars they did. Um, the two big things. There really were two. Number one is that the car's not silver. And I thought the car was going to be silver. And they pulled a fast one on us. It's not silver. <clears throat> it's actually very black. Um. Well, yes and no. Oh. So what we have found out is that the car's not really black either. Officially, the color is carbon because it is raw carbon fiber. It is not painted in the black sections. Really? And Is it for the same reason that it used to be silver? Yeah. Well, it originally was silver back in the 50s. Right. And so as the story goes, the car was originally supposed to be white back in the 50s, that first Mercedes F1 car. Um, because it was overweight, they elected not to paint it. It was in raw aluminum, which made them silver, and they were known as the Silver Arrows. That's where it came from. That's why the car had been painted silver in modern F1, with the exception of the two years that it was painted black. Mm -hmm. 
same reasoning here. The car's been overweight. <laughs> Think about that for a second. The weight of paint mm-hmm. is so critically important that doing without is a better option. Well, you know, we, we talked about this last year where a couple of teams, Williams included, were looking at areas that they could remove paint for that very reason. And there were parts of the car like around the air intakes and stuff like that, which went from painted to all of a sudden raw carbon fiber. Just because they were looking to save that much weight. And we make it sound like it's that much weight, but it's like infinitesimally small amounts of weight. It's more than a handful of grams. Right. Now, the other thing to just kind of roll around is that's raw carbon fiber Mm -hmm. without any sort of additional protection on top of it. That could be interesting. I I don't think it's quite as fragile. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why they use it. It's lightweight and it's durable. Um, I, I would assume that there is some kind of coating to make sure that it's smooth. Mm-hmm. But other than that, now, I happen to really love the aqua stripe on the car this year. The Patronus stripe. Yeah. I happen to really love it. I think it makes it look fast. You know, from a just a look. It's standing still and it looks like it's moving. I like that swoopy. Yeah, it, it, it does do that. The other thing that I, we need to point out, though, is the side pod design. Mm-hmm. We have, at least for right now, retained the zero side pod design wow i didn't think they were going to do that i i didn't either um not only have they retained it it looks like it has been i i wouldn't call it refined i mean they're calling it refined um it does look a bit more aggressive right now um mercedes claims claims that Despite the fact that they are the only ones who ran this design last year. And the fact that nobody has adopted it for this year. And the fact that the car was down on performance last year, partly due to aerodynamics. Mercedes claims that the zero side pod design is not the reason for that. Oh, okay. (laughs) And that we shouldn't read into it that it is. Um, and that's why they have kept it. They think there's other areas that they can, uh, th- that they were able to refine that is going to unlock potential. However, they've also said that in a couple of races, they're changing the side pod design. Interesting. Now, we don't know what that means, but they're changing it. I was going to say, changing the side pod design does not mean reintroducing the side pod. Right. So it should be very interesting. Now, I know all the pundits last year said that if Mercedes could figure out their porpoising issue, that side pod, in theory, there are no side pod design, could be unstoppable. But it's the combination of all of the other issues. It, it is. And what we know, with the exception of select tracks, where it didn't seem to be as much of a problem... The answer to solving it, the, the porpoising issue last year, was raising the ride height of the car. Which slows the car. Which made it more draggy and slowed everything down. 
we don't know what the impact is at this point. So I don't know. We've seen a combination of, you know, Mercedes on one hand, especially the social media channels. Everyone's like, ooh, the car's so pretty. It looks so fast. And I... I hesitate to go in and praise the design, the look of the design right now, given the results of last season and the fact that there are similarities between this car and last season. Um, but it's, you know, yeah, Mercedes says, well, the side pod isn't the issue, but we're changing the side pod design. It's hard to turn around and say that these aren't related. But like I said... Changing the side pod design does not mean reverting back to the True. full side pods that they once had. So until we see what that quote change is, it's hard to say that that is a reaction to something else. It could be a combination of things that they need to make that change for. But what I would suggest is I find it interesting, just interesting. The pundits and the people that are saying the car looks good and the car does look good mm -hmm. and that it looks fast are commenting on its aesthetics. You, however, will not comment on the aesthetics until you have seen the performance. It is like if it was a tank yet performed, you would be okay with it. And yeah. yet the rest of the public is stating we like the way it looks. We hope that it will perform to the level that it looks. You're like, I don't care what it looks like as long as it performs. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They could be out there driving a brick. And if it wins the championship, then okay, awesome. The brick was good. <laughs> Show me the points. And right now there are none. Nobody has any. Yeah. Um, the other... Thing we should point out, you know, we, we've been cautioning for, for all the other cars of this isn't final design. This isn't necessarily what they're going to run. Mercedes has actually come out and said, what you see here, what has been already to, into Shakedown, because they've had Shakedown testing over at Silverstone. But what you see here is what we are bringing to winter testing. And it is what we are bringing with little modification to the first several races. Wow. So, and, and that's and one of the areas that folks are a little bit concerned about because, you know, if this is not working, if, it, if it's d still down on performance, Mercedes is saying it's probably not going to be until Baku before there are changes coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mercedes, I hope you get it right. The other one who is putting out some warnings that they may be starting the season on the back foot is McLaren. Oh, really? McLaren is also saying the same thing, that they have not necessarily been hitting the targets that they have wanted to hit so far. Um, they've got some changes and some modifications that are planned, which they think will address those issues. However they're not going to be in the launch spec car. Oh. So it, they're sounding like they may be on the back foot, which, of course, you, 
you've got the car that may be on the back foot, and then you've got Oscar Piastri that everyone's like, he better come in and light the world on fire after what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. It should be. As always, Formula One brings drama. So Aston Martin rolled Mm -hmm. out there. And Aston, again, quick to say, this is our launch spec car. This is not a show car. This is what you are at least going to see when we go into testing. Okay. So how much changes are going to happen at testing, we don't know. Um, The thing that I thought was notable about the Aston is Aston appears to have taken inspiration from Ferrari's bathtub design. Interesting. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. It was Aston that went and basically knocked off the last the prior year's Red Bull design last year, right? Uh, to some extent. The, well, they got a lot of really. compl- complaints that they had basically from pictures and such re- it was reverse- part partway through the season. Reverse that engineered they that out. Yeah. It was partway through the season and and it wasn't so much last year's it was the current years because remember there was the the rule change mm. so they couldn't use last year's design they had to they couldn't use the 21 design it was the early season 22 design got it but they got a lot of of uh flack for the copycat design yes um i will say that it looks like they drew inspiration i i, I won't call this a copycat because the big difference is the back of the the bathtub area mm-hmm. essentially is the way they put it you know when you look at the ferraris from the top because of the way the indentations are between the the cockpit and um the edges of the side pods there's two troughs right. that gives it that bathtub look what aston martin did was those troughs instead of closing off and and being essentially troughs the back end of the car, they are tapered down to the floor. Fairly so, drastically. So They're what, more like slopes. I was going to say, what they've basically done is created canals. Waterfall. A waterfall, okay. Water, waterfall may be the, the, the closest description. It's not a straight drop, um, but it is, it is a fairly drastic slope down from the inside of that trough all the way down to the floor okay <clears throat> maybe it'll i mean it, it looks to be kind of a, a combination of the the ferrari approach and the mercedes approach interesting is i guess the best way to put it aston martin hasn't released a lot of pictures about this it was fully visible in the launch but their publicity photos, you can't really see it yet. Well, you can imagine. They, they don't necessarily want their mm-hmm. competitors to know exactly what all they're doing. And, you know, with Aston Martin, th- there's already been talk about this. And it, it's, I'm trying to figure out how to make a prediction for this. Because mm. I think we need to have one. And it, it's got to be something around... When the meltdown happens and how bad the meltdown happens between um, Fernando Alonso and the team. 
So it's funny that the question is not, will there be a meltdown? Oh, it I'm is convinced there's going to be. When there will be a meltdown. I, I'm convinced there's going to be. I mean, you look at Fernando's history. Mm-hmm. There, there's going to be one. We, we've talked about this on many occasions, not just his piss poor career choices, but the, the fact that his personality, to put it nicely, mm-hmm. can be fairly demanding of teams. He has high expectations. He wants the teams to function in a, in a very specific way that caters to him mm-hmm. over anybody else. And if the team is struggling with the car or just outright fails to deliver a car that he thinks is satisfactory, he gets difficult to work with. And, you know, we saw it the first time he was at McLaren. We saw it when he went to Ferrari and everybody thought that he was going to go and turn Ferrari around and the atmosphere was poisonous when he left. We saw it when he went back to McLaren and then we saw it again over at Alpine. Everybody knows that this is Fernando. Now, according, you, you add on top of it the fact that you've got Lawrence Stroll, who we have found out is incredibly demanding mm-hmm. and is a micromanager and expects to things run be expect things to be run in the way that he expects them to work. Mm-hmm. According to Aston Martin, they brought Fernando in knowing that he was this way and thinking it's going to complement what they're trying to do and how they get there and how Lawrence functions. So it has the potential of being a dream marriage or an absolute nightmare. But nothing in between. It has no potential to just be okay. I'm sorry. The train wreck is coming. It's a question of how fast. Mm. I can understand that. Sometimes with these very pushy personalities... It is kind of stunning what calms them down. You know, sometimes it is that having another pushy personality almost compliments and then drowns them out. So I'm not going to say that I, w- I don't think that the train wreck will be unexpected, but it will be very interesting to see the Lawrence Alonzo dynamic. Mm-hmm. The the only way I could see there not being a train wreck is if this car actually performs well and is challenging for wins. Mm. And I think that's a massive long shot. As much as Lawrence, you know, Lawrence, Lawrence his stated goal is to build the greatest Formula One team ever within the next five years. Wow. So my long-term prediction is that Lawrence sells the team in sex. But. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Since, you know, I love that. The greatest Formula One team in the next five years. Ferrari has been in the sport 50 plus years Mm -hmm. and arguably has an incredible reputation, but no one would argue that they have built the greatest Formula One car. Mercedes has been around for 50 years. 
and arguably has a great reputation and had at one point an incredible car. And no one would say that that was the greatest Formula One car of well, all time. Not Formula One car, Formula One team. Oh, team. And there could be an argument made that Ferrari is one of the greats in the sport. And the team. Just like Mercedes could be made. And at this point, Red Bull Mm -hmm. and McLaren could also lay claim to that. He's not saying the greatest car. He's saying the greatest team. So then how do you define that? What are your, what are the smart goals of that? What is measurable in that? I, I would say, and, and this is why already I think that the goal is not attainable, is that you need to have at least five, if not more, years of success in Formula One. Different. Preferably um, every single year. Define success. Um race winning and championship winning so over a five-year period of time you need to win how many championships one four no at least four or five number one you you cannot be called greatest team in form one of the greatest teams in formula one if you've only won two races I didn't say races. No, I no, no I, I, I'm, I'm working to it. Okay. Because you look at what the team has achieved so far. And the number of race wins in the history, not just of, of um, I mean, going back to the race, the, the Force India days. I mean, you can go back to, to Jordan and Jordan's got wins. But if you go back to the Force India days, that team has had fewer than well, you could count the number of wins on one hand and have fingers left over. Okay. In five years, you need to be challenging up at the front. You need to have consistently race wins, race champion or, or uh, championships, driver and or constructor. Well, probably constructor, primarily because driver. Okay, maybe, maybe you don't have a great, the the best driver, but you've got the best car, and that's getting you. But you need to be considered every single weekend for several years a strong contender to win the race, at a minimum. And you need to be a strong contender every single year for winning a championship. You know, that's the thing about Red Bull, is even in... The the years that they were struggling with Renault, we'd start the season and folks are like, you knew fairly confidently that Red Bull was probably going to be second or third. And there was a pretty good chance walking into the season that they were going to give whoever was going to be at the front a challenge. Even in the darkest years with Renault. So, in trying to narrow down all of that into something that's like a, a true measurable piece, you're saying that in order to be considered one of the great Formula One teams, mm-hmm. you would have to 
be predicted and guaranteed to fall in the top three of any given season for a top for a period of time of at least five years. Yes, at, at a minimum, you would be considered a safe bet. You know, it should it, not be a if surprise some... if you were in the top. Basically, it should not be a surprise if you are in the top three. Mm-hmm. Over those five years, it, it should least, be a if surprise if you are fourth or lower. Yeah, in if those not longer. Five years, interesting. I mean, I don't think Lawrence is a prayer in, you know, ice in a very cold place mm-hmm. um, to be able to do that. But, but it's an interesting goal. I'm definitely sure that he doesn't have the right drivers to do that. Um, he could have the best car in the entire world but the sheer fact that 50% of your driving team is a is there on name and not merit and is a little crashy um is probably going to hold you back well that's one issue the the other issue and i i get that as an entity the race team itself even though it hasn't been Aston Martin for very long and but as an entity the race team has existed for what 30 some odd years if not longer but it took Red Bull how long before they started winning their string of championships how long before they they were considered to be a strong contender every single season. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen with their first couple of drivers, and it didn't happen with their first cars. They were in the woods for easily 10 years, if not longer. And that was with significant financial, and, and that's the key thing here, significant financial backing and investment to build that team and grow that team because Red Bull existed as Jaguar for a while and they struggled and they existed as Stewart under Jackie Stewart for a bit and a couple of other owners before they ended up under as Red Bull with the the massive financial investment from Dietrich Mateschitz and the organization. You know, Lawrence has only really had that team for what? three years now mm-hmm. four years and he's really only started to pour the money into it in the last three years and it's still going to take a couple of years for that money if it's been properly invested to turn around and build a team so i think he's still got a way to go okay so yeah we'll we'll see when that explosion happens but i think the train wreck is coming Okay. Um, Alpine released their car. Okay. Um, not a whole lot of details about it, but Esteban Ocon says that there is more refinement and more detail compared to last year. So he is hopeful as to what happens. Interesting. I, I got nothing else there. Okay. I mean, it's... It, oh. Ocon's excited is what you're telling me. O- Ocon's excited and word is that the first couple of races, it'll be pink again. I like the, a pink car. BWT branding. I like a pink car. So that that's all we know there. Um, Honda has been talking about um, the the changes that they have made. Mm. Um, you know, 
we're at a point now engine wise where you can't roll out performance upgrades the specification is fixed what you can roll out however and and what a lot of teams have needed alpine and honda have been reliability fixes what we are hearing is that some teams reportedly have seen as much as um double digit horsepower gains from their reliability fixes that they've been rolling out okay i call questionable here okay so how and this i do not actually expect you to answer this question it's an open question how do you label something a reliability fix versus a performance fix i mean it is one engine so you solve a problem that is hampering your reliability and then you see a performance gain is it really just just a reliability fix or are you claiming something as a reliability where you're actually tweaking something that's putting out more performance? Well, I, I think what you you can do and, and what a lot of the, the manufacturers are doing is they're saying, okay, we've identified the cause of these reliability issues that we've been having. We're going to roll out these specific things to address those reliability issues. As a result of doing that, you know, temperatures are cooler, tolerances are closer or something like that and the knock-on effect of, of having those pieces is that the engines can run faster or they can deliver a bit more power because we had to turn something down so that we didn't have the temperature hitting or the pressure hitting what it, the danger point that was causing a failure i call bs i okay. call that they have found performance increases and the way some creative write-up of what they have done to the engine is categorizing it as a reliability fix because the reality is if you get better performance out of something because it's running cooler or you know better lubricated or you've got something sealed that was leaking before or whatever that it's going to have a reliability impact you're not going to blow up the engine faster I, I i think the big thing is being able to show that it's a significant reliability piece and would, i think that's creative writing not it, it may be but if, if they can come out and they can say these are the failures that occurred and this is why they occurred and this is what we rolled out to address that reliability issue mm -hmm. that i mean yeah it may be a creative writing i think it's creative exercise, writing exercise still, not a that's reliability thing that's what how we're seeing performance increase in this era of engine specification is supposed to be frozen mm -hmm. and i think it's important to call that out because as we go well wait a minute the engine specification is supposed to be frozen how are they seeing more horsepower gains well that's why it's being rolled out as a reliability fix to fix a problem that you know to fix a failure exactly creative writing okay I'm just saying that obviously in their engine department, they have a marketing person. Speaking of marketing yes. in the engine department. Yes. So Honda has come out and they've said that, you know, even though we don't have any teams going into 2026, we, we put in our entry because we're curious about where F1 goes. And we think that the direction that F1 goes under these regulations can benefit us in all kinds of different ways. So we put in our thing because we're curious. And because we put in this thing saying that we're curious, 
some teams have approached us about possibly supplying an engine. We haven't given it an answer yet, but we're just curious. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That that was at the the same press conference where they talked about performance increases due to reliability fixes. Marketing. (laughs) I'm going to start arguing that marketing wins F1 and not actually engines. Okay. So word this week that McLaren has added reserve drivers to the Mercedes reserve driver pool. It's like, what? Hang on. Wait a minute. McLaren is a separate team from Mercedes, correct? Yes, but they are they, a customer for engine supply. Okay, but they and, they and they maintain their own drivers. Yes. And they have a whole separate program. So why is McLaren able to put people in the Mercedes driving pool? Well... And, and honestly, this was kind of a good idea. Um, the agreement that Mercedes, McLaren, Aston Martin, and I believe Williams, I'm not sure. They, they, Williams may not be a participant, but they actually have an agreement in place to share um, reserve and development drivers, yeah. which means that the pool, which had been populated by Mick Schumacher, who was... Um, Mercedes' introduction to this has now been added to, thanks to McLaren, with uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, who, by the way, was already signed as an Aston Reserve. Well, now he's part of the pool under McLaren as well. Uh, But Stoffel Van Dorn and Philippe Drogovic. Okay. Probably Philippe. Maybe. Probably Philippe. Okay. Um, Okay. So as long as not every one of those teams has a driver that can't drive, this is actually genius because they're probably saving cost. Yes, that, that, that's exactly what it is. And it also, it gives them some level of redundancy if for some reason they have multiple drivers who are out. Um, but it allows them, I think, to share some performance data as well and some testing data. Well, that, but by having, okay, so the pool right now is three, mm-hmm. and we know that it covers at least three, if not four teams, they each are paying for essentially one reserve driver, mm-hmm. but yet get the benefits of three. That's not a bad deal. Yeah. That's that's good math. So, a little bit of money's talk here. The FIA collected $26.7 million in entry fees. Ouch. That's a lot. Now, that is both the the team's entry fees and apparently the drivers, and, and got to be careful with this, the drivers, quote unquote, pay entry fees. Quote unquote. And I say that because usually it's not paid for by the driver. The team pays for them on behalf of the driver. So essentially, somebody is writing a check to enter two cars and two drivers into the series. Yes. So yeah. it's a it's a flat rate of for the the teams themselves six hundred and seventeen thousand six hundred and eighty seven dollars per car per team per, per team flat rate just to start with. Okay. And then there is a fee per point scored. And the point fee has gone up from $6,926 to 
to $7,441 for the Constructors Champion uh, and from $5,770 to $6,174 for the remaining teams. And that is a per point dollar amount. Oh, okay. So basically, if you won this championship the prior year, you're going to pay more to enter than following year, mm-hmm. which in theory allows the teams that did not win a little bit more budget because they're not paying as much. Correct. Um, and these actually the, these fees come out of the cost cap. That so makes they, sense. Yeah. So they do impact the overall budget here. Um, now, driver fees are not made public. But the points based fee for them has gone up by nearly 30% from $1,623 a point to $2,100 a point. And that's on top of a flat fee of $16,236, which is $12,256 plus they pay $3,980 for insurance. Okay. That seems really low for insurance, but okay. Yeah. But. I want to roll back for a second. How much did you say prior years per point cost was? Sixteen hundred dollars. Uh, for drivers, driver? yes, one thousand six hundred twenty-three dollars. Okay, stop there for a second. Okay. Do you remember that year that Nick Latifi won one point? Yeah. That means the following year he paid sixteen hundred dollars to enter Formula One. I just need to like let everybody like soak that in for a second. <clears throat> well, on top of the sixteen thousand dollars. Okay. So, yes, $16,000, so $17,000, basically the price of a used Honda Civic. He's entered Formula One. Like, just let that sink in for a second. But yet, on the contrary to that, the world champion that same year was probably Lewis Hamilton, who I'm betting paid a whole lot more. Yeah. Um, This year, Mm -hmm. because of the number of points that he got as well as being world champion, Max Verstappen paid around double. And I say Max, we know it's the team on behalf of Max, um, but paid double Lewis Hamilton's entry fee for the year. That's pretty cool. Max doesn't think so. Why does Max not think so? Oh, because Max is Max. He thinks that these... and, And I think Red Bull's pushing on this as well and Max is just picking up on it that they think that the fees are exorbitant and it's too high and you know I'm I'm not sure I, I really care or feel that I, I mean it's interesting to know how much is coming in your I solution have... is not acceptable I, I like my solution your hey so- Max win yeah. less <laughs> yeah no it, you know I I'm sorry, but the sport has been built, and rightly so, I think, with the success tax. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows it. Everybody understands it. And if you don't like it, everybody knows it and everybody understands it. And that's You went the- into this knowing that if you are successful, you will pay more. I mean, that that hasn't changed. But even if the teams weren't paying this money, if it came out of the F1 driver's paycheck, I guarantee you even the most junior, inexperienced, low-paid driver in F1 would have absolutely, he's not in the sport anymore, doesn't matter, would have absolutely no problem 
paying these fees. Exactly. Because they're paid that well. And if they're not paid that well, their sponsors are paying them that well. Mm-hmm. Because keep in mind, not all of the teams pay directly pay their drivers. Yeah. The drivers bring their own sponsorships for their paychecks. But they are making enough. It is a Playboy sport for a reason. Yeah. And it's part of, it would be part of your mathematical and budgetary calculations to figure this out. And then you look at the things that are actually needed. Not the marketing stuff, not the fluff. The things that are actually needed to support running an F1 race over the weekend. The medical teams, the safety teams, the scrutineering, the timing and scoring, all of those other bits and pieces, this is a bargain. Knock it off. Exactly. Exactly. So, finally, this weekend is preseason testing. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned, three days of preseason testing will be held in Bahrain from the 23rd to the 25th. Um, day one is the 23rd and will run from 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. local time, which works out to 7 a.m. to 4.30 GMT. Okay. Because we have listeners who are all over the place. Like, you know, not going to translate to local time. You figure that out. Um Every day runs about the same time. So February 24th and Saturday, uh, February 25th, 7 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. GMT. Um, It is just the single test as opposed to splitting it in Barcelona and Bahrain. F1 will broadcast the entire test this year. So last year, if you remember, they didn't broadcast the first test in Barcelona. They broadcast the second one. Um, Sky Sports in the UK and England and F1 TV, where you can get it, will be broadcasting the entire day. Um, So, and I think several places are going to be doing live commentary as well. Um, You can catch that. But that's going to be, I think, our first indicate, probably Wednesday or, or, or excuse me, probably Friday or Saturday, day two and day three, Saturday in particular we should get an idea of what performance looks like because Saturday is probably going to be long runs. Mm -hmm. Friday will probably be a mix of general shakedown and aerodynamic testing and um, starts, restarts, and sprints. Typically. And then Saturday is probably going to be long run performance. Hmm. I always thought that startups and sprints were the first day which would have been thursday and long runs would have started on friday it's going to depend on who's been doing shakedowns Mm, true um but also i i think it'll the first day of testing is when they're going to do the the significant instrumented aerodynamic testing that's when the flow vis is going to be on the car that's when there's going to be the funky screens getting put around the car um, so that they can measure where wind is moving. At the very least, that's probably going to be the morning. And then depending on those results, will probably change what the afternoon looks like. So I always go into testing with one hope. That Mercedes doesn't suck? I mean, Well, there's that. But oh. do you remember a few years ago when testing went so well for Mercedes that they were doing long runs like on the first day and they they, they never had to do yeah. you know they were doing full race distances and that's always what I want to see in testing I want to see Mercedes doing full race distances because the reliability is off the charts because things are going so well all the things that they're testing is working out and they it's just it's glorious and that's what I hope for them this year 
Not a surprise. I not holding my breath. I know. I know. But this is that moment when it's always hopeful. You know, this is that, that moment where anything is possible. And that's what we go into the weekend knowing. And then we cross our fingers and hope it carries over into a race. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.